This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Wiser Books. Wiser Books is celebrating 60 years of publishing the very best in occult and esoterica. You can check out their extensive and inspiring range of reading material by going to wiserbooks.com. That's W-E-I-S-E-R books.com. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by The Pretty Cult. The Pretty Cult is an apparel brand whose love of tarot, the occult, and of course, all things rock and roll are put into every piece created. All Pretty Cult items are sewn, screen printed, and handmade in the House of Cult in Los Angeles, California, and it's a woman-owned and operated shop. And now, Witchwave listeners can take 15% off their first order with code WITCHWAVE, all one word. So check out theprettycult.com, that's www.theprettycult.com, and use WITCHWAVE for 15% off your first order. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave and happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're getting ready to celebrate bounty and plenty and to work some gratitude magic over the long weekend. I've got a savory, saucy episode for you today because we're going to be talking all about that sinfully tempting character, the devil. Now, I have complicated feelings about Lucifer, as one does. First of all, being raised Jewish. For me, the devil was only ever a folkloric figure that other people believed in. Judaism has its own shortcomings, but I do feel fortunate that there's no real belief in hell to speak of, and when I was growing up, Satan was just not somebody we ever had to really think about that much. I remember being little and seeing cartoons where a character would have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other to represent the virtuous or naughty choices they might make. But I never had to be concerned with worries that Satan might actually be real. Once I was a teenager and more deeply drawn to both the art world and the world of the occult, I began to understand that there were those who not only literally believed in the devil, but who linked witchcraft with Satan worship. I was shocked and honestly kind of annoyed. 
my attraction to witchcraft had nothing to do with Satanism or evil or any kind of demonic goings on. And historically speaking, those who have practiced various forms of witchcraft don't tend to believe in or worship the devil either. In fact, as I write in my book, the devil was a very minor character in Christianity until the Middle Ages, and the link between so-called devil worship and witchcraft wasn't really made until the 15th century or so. Of course, as we know, this turned into a widespread propaganda campaign rooted in misogyny and xenophobia, and it was spurred on by the publication and circulation of witch-hunting manuals such as the Malleus Maleficarum, or the Hammer of Witches, which led to the tragic and horrific witch hunts of Europe and the New England colonies that crested in the 16th and 17th centuries, though it's important to note that witch hunts still happen throughout the world as we speak. But beliefs about witches as depraved, devil-boning murderesses became popularized in the early modern era, and we still see these depictions in horror movies and religious fundamentalist contexts today. However, in the 19th century, following the Age of Enlightenment, witches, and by extension the devil, became re-signified by more progressive-minded folks as positive figures of rebellion, subversion, and liberation. The French historian Jules Michelet's 1862 book La Sorciere translated in English a year later under the significantly spicier title Satanism and Witchcraft, popularized the notion that early modern women felt drawn to satanic witchcraft because the church made them feel, at turns, judged, abused, unappreciated, and unclean. Michelet writes, quote, The devil only women's ally of old and her confidant in the garden, and the witch, the perverse creature who does everything backwards and upside down in direct contradiction to the world of religion, ever thought of unhappy womanhood, ever dared to tread custom underfoot and care for her health in spite of her own prejudices. Unquote. In other words, Michelet believed that witches and Satan were far more sympathetic to women's issues than the church was. And so he reasoned, of course they held allure and even hope for women who did not fit the mold of pure propriety as was expected. Now let's be clear. Michelet's history is extremely faulty and full of all kinds of his own romantic, racy, and fantastical notions. But it's writing by him and others who followed that arguably have led us to where we are today with our revisioning of the witch as a positive feminist figure. For me, in my own identification... 
The which is where I tend to stop because, frankly, it's difficult enough explaining to some people that witches are actually wonderful without adding the devil back into the mix. Don't get me wrong. I get a kick out of devilish witch depictions in films like Rosemary's Baby and The Witch and shows like Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. But there are those, like this episode's guests, Alexandra and Zachary James of the band Twin Temple, who see Satan also as a symbol of freedom, irreverence, and nonconformity, and who like to incorporate his, or perhaps her, iconography in their spirituality and creativity. In the conversation you're about to hear, we discuss why they think the devil is divine. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches. Vinny writes, I've been waiting for confirmation on going to contract for a book I'm writing. I'm sure you are familiar with the painstaking game a wait like this plays on a creative person's mind. So I'm hoping for advice. I'm obsessing, and the longer I wait, the worse the obsession becomes. There are days when I know I should just be writing, but instead I'm completely distracted. I pull tarot every morning. And I often feel like I get this continuous message that I'm on the correct path and I just need to keep moving forward. I've tried a few things to calm my mind. Most recently, my sister, who's also a witch, created a bath for me to clear and cleanse, and it helped a little. But I guess what I want to know is, do you have any ideas or advice that might help me tame my shadow? I constantly work on quieting that voice that tells me I won't make it or I'm not good enough. But this time it's different. I know in my heart that things will pan out. How could they not? I've lived my life for this moment. But that dang shadow of mine just won't let me think straight. Any insight you can offer is greatly appreciated. Hi, Vinny. First of all, congratulations on being in the middle of your book project. So many people talk about the books they want to write, and you are actually doing it. I know firsthand what a difficult feat that is, and I commend you for going on this literary journey. But, ah, you are being bedeviled. Part of you knows that it's going to be okay because you are prepared, you are doing the work, and you have faith. But then another part of you is besieged by doubts and distractions. Ugh, the creative process is a glorious pain in the ass, isn't it? I'll give you advice that actually came up in an earlier Witchwave episode with the fantastic illustrator and writer Yumi Sakugawa. And that is to try having tea with your demons, or in this case, your devil. Because the thing about shadows is they never really go away. And often, if we ignore them, they just get bigger and louder and needier 
and more annoying. So I recommend you give your doubt devil a little bit of undivided attention. But here is the key. Put a timeline on it, a boundary. In other words, I want you to try having tea with your devil for no more than 30 minutes a day. And if you could do it even shorter, that's great too. What might this look like? Well, maybe you free write for 30 minutes and let your devil vent about all of the fears and anxieties that are lurking inside you. Maybe you meditate with the devil or draw a picture of them or light a candle to them. But whatever shape your date with the devil takes, and you might want to switch it up each day, when you're done, kindly say thank you to your devil for the visit and promise them you'll do it again tomorrow because they do have things to teach you. Or perhaps they're just a dark part of you that needs a little bit of TLC. So that's your job, to graciously invite your devil to stay a while. But when time is up, firmly send them on their way so they don't overstay their welcome. And then get back and do your other work. You've got a book to conjure. Now on to my guests. Twin Temple bandmates and real-life couple Alexandra and Zachary James describe their music as satanic doo-wop. Their classic 50s and 60s rock and roll sound is an irresistibly catchy contrast to their deliciously diabolical lyrics about witches, magic, sex, and independence. Los Angeles Times has described them as, quote, like the Marvelettes if that group had pined after the blessings of Baphomet instead of the boy next door, unquote. And Vice has called their music feminist as fuck. As occult practitioners, Twin Temple also draw from their magical beliefs to create rituals on stage and on screen that are provocative artful, and a damn good time. On this episode, Twin Temple discuss how they use witchery to craft their music, why radical politics and magic are sexy bedfellows, and some lessons they've learned from the Dark Lord. Alexandra and Zachary James joined me via Skype from their home in L.A., Alexandra and Zachary James of Twin Temple. Welcome to the Witch Wave. Thanks, Pam. We're super excited to be here. Thanks thanks for for having us. us. I am so honored that you guys are here. I'm a huge fan of your music. 
And of course, that is a good place to start, which is you have an album out called Twin Temple Bring You Their Signature Sound, Satanic Doo-Wop. So of course, (laughs) I have to ask you, what do you guys mean when you use the phrase Satanic Doo-Wop? What is that? It's kind of like a quick way of explaining what we do. In reality, we kind of draw from all sorts of classic American music, from country to the blues, gospel, jazz, early rock and roll, basically everything. But we really love the 50s and 60s, in particular doo-wop, which was, you know, mostly angled towards teens. It kind of adopted barbershop quartet harmonies and nonsense backing vocals. Most of the topics were teenagers in love, 16th birthdays, that sort of thing. And then the satanic element, I mean, we're both satanic witches. We're students and practitioners of the occult. So that's sort of our other main love that features in the project. Yeah. So it's really just a synthesis, you know, of our total beings really coming together. And that's that's the way it manifests. Yeah. Satanic do-ups, the quick way of saying all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It's definitely an evocative image. And when I hear your music... For me, some of the names that come to mind are like the Ronettes and even a bit of the Supremes. Oh, absolutely. I got to say Amy Winehouse, who, of course, was like super Mm -hmm. retro. Who are some of the other influences or the other kind of musicians that you really, really love just from a sonic perspective? Wow. So many. We're really avid record collectors and music lovers. So you named a lot of the 60s girl groups, obviously, the Shangri-Las, the Crystals. We've got all those seven inches. We wear them out. But, you know, the sweet spot for us is really classic 50s and 60s rock and roll. I mean, that encompasses a whole lot, but everything from Roy Orbison and Buddy Holly. Of course, we love, you know, Beatles and Elvis and all the major artists of that era. To be honest, we take a lot of influence from the early blues and country because in our minds, that's sort of like what formed the basis of rock and roll in America. So obviously Robert Johnson and Blind Lemon Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And Big then, Mama know, Thornton. We love metal as well and, and harder rock like Alice Cooper, you know, and kind of a constant. Yeah, anything rock and roll is fine. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Getting a bit deeper into like the blues, especially, the figure of the devil shows up in so many old blues songs. I mean, you already mentioned Robert Johnson, and, and there's so many other great songs about the devil and putting bad luck on you or trying to, mm-hmm. what is it? sign your soul away in order to have certain gifts or have certain love come your way. I know that you are practitioners of what you call satanic witchcraft. And believe me, we're going to talk all about that. (laughs) But just from a a figure, you know, from kind of like an archetypal perspective, did specific devilish songs inspire you too, like certain blues songs or anything like that? I actually love early blues for its inclusion of a lot of the folk magic traditions in the South, in particular hoodoo and voodoo. Along with the devil, you also have all sorts of hoodoo references from the classic love spell of putting blood in a man's coffee or pasta sauce. You have (laughs) 
hot foot powder, like a lot of the early blues music really encapsulates and covers the hoodoo tradition, which I love for it. The deeper you dig into a lot of the lyrics, the more you'll find out about hoodoo practices and folk magic practices of the era. As far as the devil, I think really why that has sort of become synonymous with early blues musicians and early blues is this is a music of the oppressed in America. So this is primarily coming from black and lower class culture, disenfranchised members of America. And in many ways, a lot of the originators of this style of music were being demonized and oppressed by mainstream America, by the government, by Jim Crow laws. So in a lot of ways, I think they're using the symbol of the devil in the same way we are in terms of transforming something that was used as an epithet to oppress in order to self-empower instead and saying, yeah, I sold my soul to the devil for the powers to shred this guitar, basically. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it comes out of that outsider mentality and as a way of aligning yourself with what was used to oppress you. Absolutely. Now, you guys use the devil in so many of your songs and so many of your visuals. You've got songs like Lucifer, My Love, which is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite songs. You have a new (laughs) single called Satan's a Woman. You know, you're constantly singing about Beelzebub and, you know, all of the different names that there are for the devil. But you're not just singing about the devil, your visual references, both on your album covers and in your performances. I mean, they're super dark. They look (laughs) to the passing viewer like the hard, scary occult shit, right? There's drinking (laughs) blood. There's like playing with ideas of human sacrifice, like all the scariest things that people say about witches or devil worshipers. Like you guys are leaning into it pretty hard. (laughs) And also I think done with a spirit of both wit and irony, and sincerity. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, let's just start from the beginning. Like, why Satanism? Why the devil? Why are you guys embodying this so deeply in your music and in your image? For Zachary and I, we both feel that we were born Satanists, which when we're using that term Satanist, we're personally using it to mean someone who feels outside of mainstream culture, someone who to a certain extent rejects conformity in the status quo when it doesn't serve the self, and really about championing the individual and expressing the self are kind of the ideals that encapsulate our core, I would say, personality. For me personally, growing up as a first generation, my parents both immigrated here to America, also being from a mixed race background, I remember I got my first death threat at age five from the neighbor over the fence who said he fought wars to get rid of people like us. And so very early on, it dawned on me that I was not really part of this sanctioned mainstream culture that somehow is on TV or that you're supposed to be. And it's sort of just as I walked through life and as I learned more about the occult and I found ways to express myself through art and poetry and literature and music, 
all of these things sort of just further to shape my identity as what I felt was an outsider because I saw and I still see a lot of things that are wrong with society today. And being quote unquote different growing up, it meant that I always sort of felt like an other. And I always felt that unless you were basically cisgendered, straight, white, Christian, male, then all of a sudden you're the other. And that's really what I embrace as being a Satanist because it allows me to take those things that have always been held against me, being an outsider, expressing myself through art and poetry and music. All of these things have now become tools that I use to empower myself. So to me, that's really what Satanism encapsulates. And one of the reasons why I proudly identify as a satanic witch as opposed to any of the other traditions out there. Zach, is it the same for you? Like what what brought you to start embodying satanic witchcraft, if that's the right phrase for it? We both feel like we were kind of just born this way. So it's really just more of a just after reading more literature, you know, like diving into the occult, you know, and then seeing like, oh, there's a kind of right hand path. There's a kind of left hand path, you know, and then exploring these different avenues and then realizing that there was a kind of dialogue, you know, and words for these feelings and whatnot, and you start to put things together, and then mm-hmm. you kind of realize, oh, this is actually something that's been going on for thousands of years, you know, and Lucifer and the devil have been using art to express these kind of ideas against mm-hmm. conforming with societal norms, et cetera, et cetera. So again, yeah, I kind of just feel like I'd always been that way. It manifested in different ways until I finally kind of realized what it really was. So it's going to always been there. It's just kind of crystallized, you know. Right. It was sort of more like, ah, so that's what I am. And there's others out there, too. (laughs) Totally, totally. There's a book that I have. It's called (laughs) Satanic Feminism, Lucifer as the Liberator of Woman in 19th Century Culture. It's by Uh, Per Faxneld, I think it's pronounced. And it's a really beautiful book that essentially traces how since the 19th century, there have been so many different scholars and writers who really took the image of the devil and decided that it was actually a anti-patriarchal, anti-oppression figure of feminism. You know, the writer who... Absolutely. Yeah, who I talk about a lot is Jules Michelet, who wrote a book called La Sorciere. And he really was one of the many writers who popularized this idea in the 19th century that maybe Satan wasn't so bad because, (laughs) (laughs) because according to a lot of the patriarchal religions, especially some of the notions that were being put forth by very conservative Christianity... Women were considered less than, and and anyone who wasn't white, cisgendered, straight, male, to your point, was considered an aberration. So why not lean into Satan, according to this thinking? Does that resonate with you guys? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I I love that book and Parafaxnold's other book on Lucifer. They're really thorough. And if that book really covers sort of our approach to satanic feminism and what it means to adopt that symbolism, and as well as using the symbol of the devil or Satan as a way to kind of dismantle the patriarchy, I think it's also really useful for me as a woman of color to sort of own my identity as a woman of color as well. And I think it can be very useful in those avenues to get into just like a little bit about 
the history of so-called Satan, I mean, it's very interesting because in the very, very early days in the mystery plays, when Satan came out on stage, this was like a very minor, minor character in the Christian fairy tale, the Christian mythologies. What you saw with Satan in those days is the precursor of the modern circus clown. So Satan was basically there to give you a bit of comic relief. Whoever was playing the part of Satan could usually do somersaults and acrobatics. They played lots of gags. It was a very lighthearted character. And when Satan came out, people would usually cheer because it gave them some respite from the drudgery of the heavy theological themes of these early mystery plays, which were basically, if you don't know what those are, it's like a early theater, the pre-runner to early theater. And back in the day, they would put on these plays to teach you about Christian theology. So Satan was never really a character that was evil. And for a long time, people actually thought it was quite sacrilegious to say that there's this opposite, opposing, equally powerful deity to God, which is the inverse, right? So if God is all things good, then Satan is all things evil. What's interesting about that symbol is it didn't even come to play into the early modern period when you have the beginnings of capitalism, of colonialism. Calling someone satanic or a satanist as an epithet didn't emerge until you had these existing world powers going into other countries and taking not only people's livelihood and lives, but land and enforcing people into slavery. So all of a sudden, you find in that period, calling someone a devil worshiper was this incredibly handy way to say, oh, well, guess what? They deserve it. The Native American rain dances are demonic devil worshiping. The people that they encountered are all of a sudden Satanists in league with the devil. And two things happened. They had to be converted to Christianity and they had to be enslaved, (laughs) oppressed, murdered on a mass genocidal scale. When we talk about using Satan as a symbol, it comes with all of that history. It comes with saying, you don't get to oppress me anymore. You don't get to say that because what I am doing is different. It's devil worship because I am a woman, because I am of color whatever it is that makes me different, you don't get to say I'm satanic anymore because I'm saying that about myself. I'm owning it. I'm donning the vestments of that which is feared. And I'm using this now as a tool of empowerment. So you can't do that to me anymore. And that's really what for us saying hail Satan and calling ourselves satanic witches is yeah. really about. And it's also about acknowledging as above, so below, and that we are microcosms, you know, as right. self-deification is absolutely. also very key. Yes, loving the self and its myriad forms. Talking about as above, so below, you guys really have a lot of these kind of doublings or juxtapositions of opposites that run throughout (laughs) everything you do. I mean, even the term satanic doo-op. Some people might think that's 
I don't know, maybe not an oxymoron, but kind of a contradiction in terms. You call yourselves twin temple. You know, you're, you're playing with all of these different tropes that seem to be in opposition to each other, but you Mm -hmm. kind of rub them together and make this beautiful alchemical friction that becomes (laughs) your music. So can you talk about your name, twin temple and where that comes from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like you're saying, it's really about all that transcending duality, which again, we feel like Satanism really strives to do. And as it seems to be like, oh, the side of evil really is trying to transcend it, like in the image of Baphomet that was wrongly appropriated by Raider Waite when he made the tarot and the devil card. But if you look at Eliphas Levy's rendition of it, the entire glyph is just all binaries transcending. So again, like you said, that's definitely something we strive to weave in our art and that we feel is very important in just understanding the world as we know it. Definitely. Yeah. Transcending limiting binaries in all forms is definitely one of the paths of the satanic witch and one of the goals that we strive towards. So we definitely try to incorporate and reflect that into our art. Yeah. And Baphomet for listeners who might not be familiar, that is a symbol that you'll see a lot where it's like a goat headed um, or devil headed human who has usually female breasts and a phallus. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of a hermaphroditic or transcendent of gender being and that one arm is raised up, one arm is raised down to really talk about, again, this balance of opposites. So it's this image that looks really scary and arresting. And yet when you actually unpack it, it's almost like the yin yang. It's just kind of a cooler version of it. (laughs) Uh, It serves as a blind to people who can't comprehend that transcendence away. Yeah, that's great. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, honey, package arrived for you. It's gigantic. What's in it? Hooray! It's my Mithras candles. That's a lot of candles. Um, have you seen them? Mithras candles signature dripped pillars look like they've been crafted for a wizard's secret library. Right, but... They look like they've been harvested from a magical cave of wax stalactites. Yes, but I... And their natural honey scent makes me feel so calm. You want me to feel calm, don't you? They're they're lovely, but how many do you really need? Well, there are also now Mithras candle votives, pyramids, and tapers. With so many different shapes and sizes, I can use them on my altar, in rituals, in our living room, on the dining room table, in the bath. Plus, they make the best gifts. Amy, we live in a two-bedroom apartment. Yes, but we're supporting a sweet, small business. Remember, Mithras candles are handcrafted from the purest golden cappings beeswax by the loveliest folks in philadelphia well i was made in philadelphia too synchronicity matt see i'm (laughs) glowing just thinking about it Okay, well, giant boxes of Mithras candles being carried up the stairs it is. And if you did want to get me some more candles, just go to MithrasCandle.com and use offer code WITCH to get 10% off. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for 10% off. Got it. Offer code WITCH at MithrasCandle.com. Just pretend to be surprised. We never had this conversation. I like sex. Use it to manifest. My pleasure comes first. I throw up being curse. Do magic with my clothes on. Yeah, I get what I want. 
Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Alex and Zach James from Twin Temple. So we're talking a lot about kind of re-signifying this scary, literally satanic archetype, Satan himself, (laughs) as something positive. And of course, that is something I relate very, very much to in regard to the word witch and the identity of being a witch, which, you know, still to this day, people hear the word witch and they think that perhaps it means something evil or diabolical. And I both relate to trying to take something dark and repurpose it as something positive. But I also, as much as I'm like the hugest fan of you guys and and I get what you're doing, I admit there's like a tiny piece of me that like gets really nervous about it because I'm like, (laughs) guys, I'm out here on these streets telling people we're not evil and we're not eating babies and we're not drinking blood. And there you guys are like (laughs) smeared in blood, you know, dancing with knives. I mean, singing about literally being evil. So, yeah, I, I have... (laughs) a little bit of like conflicting feelings about it just from like a PR standpoint of what it means to be a witch. And and I just wonder like, what is your thinking about that? What you're describing is sort of the long standing debate amongst practitioners of witchcraft, which I think the left hand path very much says, if it's not for you, we're not here to convert you. If you think we're evil, so be it. We're not out here trying to change people's opinions of who we are. We're just sort of living for ourselves. Then there's also the right hand path, which I think Alexandrian witchcraft, Gardnerian witchcraft, very much mm -hmm, a lot of the Wiccan traditions are trying to change the public's perception of the witch and saying, look, this is a fertility tradition or, you know, this has nothing to do with evil and whatnot. Personally, I I understand both approaches as well, but to try to prove myself, to change the public's perception of me is not just something that resonates with me as an artist. Like I much prefer to play with people's fear response, ignorance, and use it as something kind of fun. Like, yeah, you should be scared of me. (laughs) Yeah. I read that you guys first started like in the punk scene. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Both Zachary and I came from the punk scene here in LA. And that aesthetic, as far as subversion, having a sense of humor about yourself as well while doing it, but to a certain extent, being transgressive is definitely something as artists that we keep coming back to. I mean, like I said, I've felt like an outsider my whole life. And I'm not really seeking to gain the approval of mainstream society anymore. It's sort of like, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And coming out of punk rock shapes that ideology for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's this idea of taking the things that society teaches us are taboo and reclaiming them or really kind of exploring where those ideas come from and and in some ways making fun of it. I mean, I brought this up earlier, but I do think there's a lot of humor in what you guys are doing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. I think that For us, it's like people are always like, well, is your art serious or is it humorous? And it's like, well, it's both. I mean, I don't think one excludes 
the other. We're definitely having fun with it. I mean, a lot of times when we're writing lyrics, you know, I'll be cackling like the wicked witch that I am (laughs) about some of the lines. Because for a long time, we didn't incorporate our spiritual or philosophical identity as witches or Satanists into the music. I always felt like, oh, I I can't say that. And then one day I kind of had this realization, like, why? Who says I can't say that? That's just me stopping myself from fully putting my ideas out there. So that was kind of a turning point with Twin Temple. We'd sort of gotten really sick of playing the game, really, and telling ourselves what we could and couldn't do and why, because this is just always the way it's done. And with Twin Temple, we're like, we're never quitting our day job. We don't care. We're literally only making Twin Temple for ourselves as our magical child. (laughs) That's when it all took off. Yeah, and funnily enough, that's when other people started being like, well, hey, I I like, you know, Roy Orbison and Satan, too. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to ask, you said you're never quitting your day jobs. Have you since quit your day jobs? We actually recently just got to quit our day jobs. (laughs) Congratulations. Do you feel comfortable sharing what those day jobs were, or would you rather keep the mystery preserved? Oh, perhaps we'll just leave it mysterious and let people think that it was uh, performing black masses. (laughs) It's not very exciting. Well, I think what is exciting, though, is this notion that you guys were making music for a really long time. You had day jobs like so many of us creative people have had to do or still have to do. And yet it wasn't until you stopped censoring yourselves and fully allowed yourselves to be integrated and be as dark as you want to be that, you know, this took off. And now look, I mean, you guys have a massive fan base that's growing. I know you're currently touring all over the place. I mean, it seems like the sky is the limit for you guys, or maybe I should say the cemetery is the limit. I don't know. Hell? Yeah, you invert that one. The cavern below is the limit. Catacombs? Exactly. And what kind of reaction have you gotten from your fan base? Like who, who tends to be a quote unquote typical twin temple fan or does such a thing not even exist? The beautiful thing is, yeah, it's very eclectic. I mean, you see everyone from goths to horror fans to people who like old school classic rock and roll to other Satanists, witches, occultists. It's really ranging. Drag queens. Really goes all over the map. Yeah, um, try to be as, as inclusive metal as heads, That's been something that's been really exciting for us to see is like, what really makes it all worthwhile is when we're meeting fans afterwards and people come up and be like, oh, well, I never really felt welcome in rock or like metal or in concerts necessarily before. But then I hear you guys talk about how much you love you know, the LGBTQ plus community or, you know, seeing people of color out at the shows that makes it so exciting for me because just as a woman of color growing up in punk rock and in the rock scene and always kind of just totally being excluded and having to like fight my way into the scene. It's really cool to have people feel like they're welcome. But I would say if there's one thing that kind of unites everybody, it's that they're open-minded And I think to a certain extent, a lot of us feel like outside of mainstream acceptable society in one way or another. Exactly. Now, you guys have talked about how this is your spiritual practice, too. These aren't 
or at least it doesn't seem to be simply like costumes you're putting on that you're not Elvira, right? <laughs> Although, hey, maybe Elvira has like a secret witchcraft practice that we don't know about. <laughs> Funnily enough, um, I heard uh, the actor who plays her, and forgive me, I'm forgetting her name right now, but she talks a lot about like the power of positive thinking and how she's manifested all of this in her life. And I'm like, she's a real witch. Maybe she just yeah. doesn't know it. <laughs> yeah. I know it's funny. You see all these um, subconscious witches. Yeah, yeah. But I'm wondering, like, can you talk a little about your spiritual practice? Like, when you're doing rituals on stage, is there any element to it that is derived from actual rituals that you do in private, if you don't mind my asking? But really, I mean, you know, the intro to our set is like an abbreviated lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. Again, like sometimes they're not the full ritual because we don't want to sit there and repeat it eight times because it corresponds to the mercurial sphere, you know. So it's like some things don't look as cool on stage. We adjust them to be to be right for for the stage. It's art. So it's not like here is the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram as practiced by Israel Riccardi or something like that. It's more just like we're putting in all these different flavors and references from the traditions we come yeah. from. I'm highly influenced by the Alexandrian tradition. So at the conclusion of our show, we have an homage to the great rite with the chalice and in our case, an inverted Cross crucifix of the blade. <laughs> that symbolizes <laughs> the great rite. We do have a satanic altar. And some of those pieces we do practice with mm-hmm. at home, on stage. Yeah. Other ritual tools we leave just for home. There's kind of like different sets, but there are, we have, we call them our, uh, our stunt doubles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm also really interested in performance and art in the continuum of magic, because I do think there's such a big overlap there. Have you had moments on stage where you're doing, let's say, the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, and it actually makes you feel similarly, or you have, you know, a a magical result that feels, I don't know, as tangible as, as such things can feel, even when you're doing it on stage versus when you're doing it at home? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in many ways, the act of performing and putting on a concert is a magical ritual in and of itself because you're all in a room. There's your coven. You're raising energy and you're directing it towards a a purpose. I mean, typically a good time for all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty great intention. (laughs) What we usually write rituals on stage we've done satanic baptisms we even done satanic weddings on stage oh one that was really crazy we did a ritual involving hecate it was really funny because i don't even know if everyone knew the the symbolism of hecate per se but as we began to evoke her People started wildly barking like dogs in the audience. Yeah, it was wild. Um, <laughs> That's incredible. And for, for listeners who f- might not know who she is, she is the Greek goddess of witchcraft and of liminal space and of herbs. Some say poisonous herbs. And she is associated with dogs often and skeleton keys and, and so on. So the idea of people barking is is pretty powerful, <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm has a Hecate vibe. We were sort of blown away because we were like, there's definitely an energy that's raised. And even though we don't write these rituals 
and perform them as precisely as say, if we were conducting a ceremonial magic at home, they almost always have some kind of interesting. Yeah. They always have an effect. Even if you leave a few parts out, they still still work. It's sort of like, huh, interesting. You can still perform these rituals for stage and they still definitely have an effect. (laughs) That's so, that's so cool. That's what I thought you might say, but it gives me chills to actually hear about it. Cause you're so, you're so right. There's something about being in public space together, especially, I mean, I love seeing live music and when it's performed, especially when it's performed well, it's definitely (laughs) consciousness shifting. It's definitely like elevating the frequency of a room and, you know, there, there's this like what's that phrase um collective effervescence i think absolutely that that just kind of bubbles up that's the magic and i feel like in our day and age our society is devoid of ritual to the point where we're starving for it i mean in terms of rituals in our modern society you basically get a what a baptism which you're not there for a wedding which you are there for in a funeral, which you're not there for again, really. <laughs> and we don't create ritual in our daily life anymore as a society. We don't even really have very many coming of age rituals or anything like that, or even very many opportunities to enter an altered magical space. So that's why I feel like it's important for us to bring that to the stage and to try to create a different environment, an altered experience, a magical space for people because we're so lacking in everyday life. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. I adore House Witch Home and Healing. It's a modern metaphysical lifestyle boutique in Salem, Massachusetts. Yes, witch city itself. Housewitch sells handmade goods, witchy gifts, and work by local artists. But you don't have to be local to shop there because they also have an incredible online store. If you go to housewitchstore.com slash shop, and that's house spelled H-A-U-S, you'll also get 13% off your order when you use offer code WITCH. So go to housewitchstore.com today. It's your one-stop shop for magical products made with style, craft, and care. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by The Threshold, The Emperor and Your Year Ahead, which is an online journey taught by intuitive tarot reader and teacher and former Witch Wave guest, Lindsay Mack. The Threshold includes a beautiful workbook with special exercises and spreads, as well as hours of pre-recorded audio downloads about the medicine of the year ahead, including lessons on releasing the hanged man and bowing to the lessons of 2019, welcoming the emperor as our card for 2020, and exploring the fours of the tarot as medicine. To sign up or learn more, visit www.lindsaymack.com slash threshold2020. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-M-A-C-K dot com slash threshold2020. 
If you're curious about Lindsay's other offerings, all other workshops and courses at lindsaymack.com are 10% off during the month of December using the code WILDSOULDECEMBER at checkout. So go on ahead, check out Lindsay Mack's new course, The Threshold, and sign up for 10% off her other offerings at lindsaymack.com using offer code WILDSOULDECEMBER. Lucifer, my love. Lucifer, my love. The candles are burning bright. Give me a little death. Take me out. Human sacrifice. I'm just a fool, a fool, a fool in love with you. I'd never sell my soul, my soul, but I give it free to you. Oh, say. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with. Alexandra and Zachary James of Twin Temple. So you were talking about rituals and I'm going to get a little personal here right now. (laughs) I know that you guys (laughs) are married. You went through the ritual of a wedding together. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so I'm really interested in for two people who seem to be like very progressive, very into breaking societal taboos. You did decide to marry each other. Um, At least your stage names have a shared last name. So I'm wondering like what marriage means to you guys, what the ritual of a wedding meant to you guys and why it was important for you to do. Well, that was all his idea. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Zach, why don't you answer that? Well, obviously, you know, we, we love ritual and we love a bit of a spectacle. So it was just like a way to uh, pronounce, you know, our feelings for one another, you know, in a kind of spectacle and theatrical way, you know, and, and with our friends and loved ones. And I mean, really, it just sounded like a good time. Yeah. And, you know, there was something truly magical about it. We got married in a redwood forest. And as we were saying our vows, this warm breeze started blowing through all the trees and it kind of felt like it blew through me and Zach. And we almost felt like, I don't know, the forest sort of blessed our unholy union. And I'm (laughs) definitely glad that we did it. For sure. It was fun. It was like, we were kind of already married to one another in our minds anyway, but this was just a cool ritual that we could perform with our friends and family. (laughs) When when was this? When did you get married? September, 2015. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. And I don't even know the origin story of how you met each other. Can you tell me your, your kind of meet cute, if you will? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we met at a show, actually a punk rock show here. We were teenagers back then. Yeah. And it was sort of like love at first sight, really. But 
Zachary was 14 at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, here you go. Call me when you turn 18. Uh, just kidding. But yeah, we, <laughs> we sort of like circled each other for many years. We actually kind of on and off collaborated with each other musically. Zach filled in playing guitar and even bass in my band. Yeah. And then we were living, you know, in L.A. and just kind of one thing led to another. And we started actually dating. And, and yeah. there you go. Awesome. And when did you guys start doing magic together? Oh, that's a good question. Together, hmm. about 10 years ago, we yeah. started, we'd always been kind of solitary witches. I actually don't really like practicing in a coven, to be honest. And I'm more of a lone practitioner, and funnily enough, Zachary is too. So yeah, we're kind of. <laughs> yeah, it took some time, I feel like, for our paths to fully merge, too, you know, it's like you come into it and you both have your own kind of personal thing. And then over time, yeah. it's just like getting to know someone over time, you kind of become more and more like one another as well. Yeah. And we still do have things yeah, varying that, practices that one one other don't do. Mm-hmm. We, we have our own little focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really interested in collaboration as a magical act. I think there's something so powerful that happens when two people, you know, whether platonic or romantic, when when just two people get together to make something. Can you talk a little about your process of writing music together? I mean, it is a magical act in many ways, because you're taking something from the unmanifest and making it manifest. And with us, we very much view Twin Temple as our magical child. So it's not quite me. It's not quite Zach, but it's this third entity that we give all of our life, life force. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's sort of our egregore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In terms of writing, I mean, we both collaborate on everything, but then we also have our own departments. Like for the most part, I write all of the lyrics, uh, vocal melodies, uh, and Zach does all of the arrangements, compositions, stuff like that. But each song, I mean, it really varies from piece to piece. Like with Lucifer, my love, I was like, I've got this song, here's how it goes. And so Zachary arranged, you know, guitars underneath it. And then we sort of went in we start to do pre-production and, you know, with one and, another. Yeah, continue arranging. But it's like once we get the like general idea down of like lyric, melody, and music, then we yeah. you know, we start to demo it out ourselves, and then we're both kind of hands-on in all the parts at that point. Right, right. Or Zachary will sometimes bring me melody ideas on guitar, and I'll be like, oh, that'll work perfect with this other thing. So it's always kind of it's kind of varying, but varying. I mean, on. we sort of specialize in those areas, and then we'll always peek over each other's shoulder and be like, oh, cool. What about this? What yeah. about that? Yeah. And, and we do all the final it. edits together. Right. So it's like we're both on board with every single note, every single word we have to basically agree on, which is not always easy. (laughs) Totally. I mean, honestly, like the kind of cliche of rock marriages and rock relationships (laughs) being rocky, like comes to mind. So my hat is definitely (laughs) off to you that you're pulling it off. And, you know, it seems to be going so well. I mean, the music you make is, is really wonderful. And I know you've been making music together for a long time, but do you remember the first kind of satanic flavored song that you wrote together? Yeah. I do actually, yeah. It was a femme. I think it was a version of Femme Fatale was the first like, mm-hmm. I'm evil and I'm here. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we took a couple years off. We had solo projects before this band and it was kind of ridiculous because we had the same backing band. We were writing each other's music. We were playing in each other's bands and we're like, why are we doubling? Twice, basically. Yeah, we're like, you know what? Let's just scrap that. 
and do a project together. And it seemed like an exciting thing, but it was like, how do we combine all of our loves into one project now? Cause for so long, we'd sort of been used to having it our own way with our band. Mm-hmm. So we're like, all right, let's really sit down and take our time with this and make something that we're really excited about. Yeah. So, so we wrote for like two years. Yeah. Just we wrote tons and tons and tons of songs trying to find, well, what's the thing where yeah. we're really excited mm-hmm. about. And when it started clicking, believe femme fatale was sort of the breakthrough song where we're like well Zachary said we're we're here and we're evil (laughs) yes and we like rock and roll (laughs) what are some of the other songs whether newer songs or older songs that really felt like things started to click for you that was a big one where it's like okay this is really something now that we're Right. We can continue to do, you know, we were pulling from like New Orleans and Dr. John and all this other stuff. But I think Lucifer was the first one that felt really, really like Twin Temple. Yeah. And I think that's when we started saying, oh, this is like satanic doo-wop. Yeah. That's when it really became clear. Because I think we'd been listening to one of those old splatter platters. Like in the 50s, they had these songs where, you know, the teenage boyfriend dies and they'll have an extended spoken part a lot of times. It's like a doo-wop trope. And, and I love them. I absolutely love when they get serious and they do the spoken part in the song. I was like, oh, how amazing if I could incorporate that into a song, but it was sort of like, how do you do it in a way that isn't just pure kitchen camp? Like what something new that we could bring to it. And so I was kind of mulling that over for a long time. And when we basically wrote this doo-wop love song to Lucifer, I was like, ah, here's where my dramatic spoken word (laughs) part goes. (laughs) So it kind of brought together a lot of those. Yeah. We were trying to put together that one, brought it all together. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You also have a lot of imagery about sex and sexuality, but from a very, in my opinion, like feminist stance of self ownership. I mean, one of your lyrics from Lucifer, my love is I'm not ashamed of my nakedness. I'm not a saint. I'm not a whore. I am a woman. And oh, I've been screwed, (laughs) which is just like a really funny turn of phrase. And then one of your new songs, which I love so much, of course, which is called I am a witch. (laughs) It starts by saying, I like sex. <laughs> and, and, and I just love that unapologetic kind of representation of feminine desire. Is that something that is important to you intentionally to lace throughout your songs? I mean, you also have like nakedness and bare breasts and genitals and a video of yours and on your album cover. I, I'd love to hear how you're thinking about sex and sexuality these days. Yeah, 666% is something that we're interested in exploring through the artwork. I mean, I think if you look at the history of witchcraft, it's very much intertwined with the history of the demonization of the woman as a sexual being. The Malayas Maleficarum is almost completely obsessed with what women do sexually when doors are closed with the devil. It was almost like this disgruntled priest's pornographic fantasy of women and finding a way to be able to express those repressed desires. And I think that for so long, sexuality in general has been very taboo, but I feel that controlling women's bodies in particular is a symptom of living in a patriarchal society and it's something that we're really looking to break down. Also, we identify as left-hand path practitioners and we work with sexual energy quite a bit. 
and sex magic quite a bit in our own practice. We don't view sexual or energy or sex as something dirty or to be ashamed of. We just view it as energy that can absolutely be harnessed in magical ritual and for pleasure. So that's something that we definitely explore through our art. Sex for pleasure? Imagine that. It's funny because you see a lot of these sigil magic practitioners, because we work a lot with sigils as well, going, so the way to charge it is to bathe yourself under icy cold water and hold your breath until you feel like you're dying. And as soon as you can't do it anymore, open your eyes and look at the sigil. I'm like, so, you know, there's a nice way to charge these sigils that feels a lot better than some of these near death, uh, torturous <laughs> methods y'all are using to, uh, <laughs> to yeah. charge your sigils. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think some people don't realize that when you're getting into like, even Wicca, like Gerald Gardner was very into like, being tied up and he wanted like the ropes to be not uncomfortable like he specifies it shouldn't be too uncomfortable but it should be uncomfortable enough that it gets your blood flowing in a certain way like there's a there's a lot of tradition um in witchcraft of ways to like raise your energy that has a little bit of a a, a sexual free song yeah, to it right absolutely <laughs> yeah. so we're winding down here. I know you guys are touring right now. You, as I mentioned, have uh, two new singles that just came out. I know they came out digitally. And am I correct that they have come out on a physical record too? Is that right? Yeah, we've got both Satan's a Woman and I Am a Witch, which our two newest singles are on a seven inch that we put out. Awesome. And where can people track that seven inch down? So we've got a couple band exclusives. We've got one that's a satanic sparkle. It's black with glitter. It's very evil. That's on <laughs> twintemple.com. And we also have what we call our coven, which is kind of like our fan club via Patreon. And we often offer them exclusives. So we've got a Jane Mansfield pink version that's just for them. There are only 200 pieces of that press. We're actually almost sold out of those. So those are our variants. And then our record label Rise Above also has some pieces that I think they're sold out. They're maybe sold out. And they'll be distributed to stores. So check your local record shop. But yeah, there'll also be some in local record shops. So you can also support your re your local record shop as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And are you guys working on any new music? Do you have any idea of what's next for Twin Temple? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're on the road for the next eight months or so. And then after that, we'll probably... Yeah. I mean, Take we're always kind of tinkering and we've definitely got lists and lists of ideas of things we want to do, especially for the next record. Mm -hmm. It's just about sitting down and really flushing it all out. But yeah. yeah, for right now, our focus is kind of touring. We've got a this tour that's 40 dates that will take us through the new year. And then we're doing a headlining run, our first headlining run in Europe in January, which we're really excited about. Yeah. And then we've got a couple other surprises for the rest of the year we can't announce yet, but we'll basically be on the road forever. Um, <laughs> that's kind of our focus right now is the live show and, and touring, but yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, I can't wait to see you myself in person. I know you're coming to New York in yes. December and I'm going <laughs> to 
move heaven and earth, or perhaps I should say hell and earth to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, and uh, for those who want to catch you on tour, the best place to go is your website, which is? Yeah, twintemple.com backslash shows. We'll have all the show information. Yeah. Awesome. And you guys are pretty active on Instagram too, right? Yeah, that's kind of our favorite platform to interact with people. Yeah. And is that Twin Temple as well? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much at Twin Temple. We're on Twitter to yeah, Facebook and all the all the social media stuff. All the places, all the places. Well, I am so happy to have gotten to speak with you. Your music is so much fun and super powerful and liberating and really, really beautiful. It's it's really fucking good. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're really well-crafted songs, and I just get such deep pleasure out of them. So thank you so much for creating it, and thank you so much for being on The Witch Wave. Aw, thank, thank you, you so much. We've been fans of the podcast and your work for so long so it's it's a diabolical pleasure to be here (laughs) that's it for the show thank you again to twin temple for sharing their devilishly good music and large dark hearts with me do you have questions feedback need some witchly advice or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on The Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel. And myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman and Shakita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots and lots and lots and lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a big difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider ordering my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.